0: I'm starting a series in the book of Romans. Um, We're going to be starting in chapter 1. And the title of this message is The Gospel of God. Uh, Why don't you bow with me in prayer? Father, we ask you to come by the power of your Holy Spirit. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, when I preached the gospel, it wasn't in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance And Lord, we're asking you to come and to bless your word today with power and the Holy Spirit and much assurance to our hearts. Bring your anointing both to preach and to receive it and be honored and lifted high today. In Jesus' name, amen. The epistle or letter of Romans was penned by Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, around 56 A.D. from the city of Corinth. Uh, Paul had actually, at this point, never yet been to Rome but he would go there in the future. Uh, The church in Rome was predominantly Gentile and was likely birthed by new converts who spread there after the persecution of the early church in Jerusalem after Pentecost. The letter is deep in fundamental doctrinal truths, making it a favorite among many Bible students. How many of you here would say Romans, your favorite New Testament book? A couple? Good, it's mine. The main themes of the book are the gospel, which means good news, it shows us the way of salvation, justification by faith without the works of the law, the inability of all men to live up to God's standards by their own morality, the call to living or walking in the Spirit, maturing from positional righteousness to practical righteousness, the incomparable love of God, Israel's rejection, election, and future salvation, the believer's attitude toward authority and Christian liberty, Defined or constrained by love. Today we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses of chapter 1 in which Paul uses the word gospel four times. And the title of the message again is The Gospel of God. I'm going to start by just reading this passage and then we're going to dig into it. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints." Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my Spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So in verse 1, Paul introduces himself as a servant, the Greek word is doulos, or a slave of Jesus Christ. A slave here is one who either by force or by a free offering of their own will gives themselves up wholly to another's will. Paul said he was called to be an apostle, which means a sent one. Or one sent as an ambassador of another. And he declares that he was separated unto the gospel. What was it in Paul that made him worthy of these high honors, of this high calling? That God would hand select him and choose him to be an apostle to the Gentiles and the Jews. To bring the gospel to the whole world. What was it that made Paul worthy of these high honors? What excellent goodness did God see in Paul that he chose him for such high things in his kingdom? What state of religious righteousness did God call him in? Paul, whose Jewish name was Saul, was at the time God called him, breathing out slaughter and violent threats to the followers of Jesus wherever he found them. He persecuted them from city to city. He was a self-righteous Pharisee who believed it was his obligation to violently persecute Christians who he saw as a cancer to the true religion of Judaism. What was Paul like when Jesus called him? he was kicking violently against Christ. With the authority of the chief priests, he journeyed with a band of men to forcefully stop the spread of Christianity to a city called Damascus. And on his way, as he was riding, it was noonday, the sun was fully shining, and it says, and Christ, the exalted risen Christ, arrested him, stopped him with a light that outshone the bright sun of the noonday. All that were with him fell to the ground. They all saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was like a sharp stone or metal instrument that was used to prod along an animal. I don't know how many of you have ever woken up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or get a glass of water and you kick the corner of your bed frame. It's terrible, isn't it? It hurts like crazy. You say, oh, yay! Right? Paul was persecuting the early church, and Jesus said, you're persecuting me. And he said, it's like you're kicking against a hard stone or an immovable object, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Did you know that when you persecute another believer, even if it's just gossiping about them or speaking evil of them, you're actually speaking against Christ? Here, Saul was violently seeking to throw them in prison, giving his approval to their death when they were tried in Jewish courts. So Jesus said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Because Saul said, who are you? Saul thought he was serving God. Saul thought he was working for the honor of God and he didn't know he was opposing and attacking God. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal unto you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified or set apart by faith in me. That's Acts 26. Jesus said to Paul, Paul, I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to send you to a people and they're not all going to receive you. They're going to attack you. Jews are going to attack you. Gentiles are going to attack you. You're going to suffer for my name's sake but I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to preserve you. And you're going to preach a gospel that's going to save the very people that are attacking you. Sounds similar to Paul or Saul. He was attacking Christ. Jesus said, I'm sending you to a people with a message that will turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins when they put their faith in me. When Saul did rise up from his feet, He found himself completely blinded from the glory of Christ's light. Afterwards, he was led by the hand into Damascus to a disciple named Ananias who received him. He had some reservations at first, but he received him when Jesus said, Paul's my chosen witness. And he called him Brother Saul. And he prayed for him for the restoring of his sight. And it says something like scales fell from Paul's eyes. And he said, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. Look again at Paul's heart when God made him, called him, selected him, chose him to be a slave, a doulos, and an apostle, a sent one, one that was separated unto the gospel. What was Paul's condition? What did God see in Paul that he says, oh, this is a special one? Nothing. Paul wasn't just ignoring Christ. He was in an all-out frontal assault on Christ by attacking Christ's disciples. My friends, this is the heart of the gospel. That God pursues us when we are antagonistic toward Him, when we turn our back toward Him, when we ignore Him. The gospel comes after us. That's the amazing grace of God. Paul wrote later in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates His own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't wait for us to clean up our act, to stop sinning, to start repenting. He didn't wait for that. He came for us when we were still sinners. That's how God came to Saul, isn't it? Verse 10 says, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled. That means brought back into good relationship or right standing. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Think of that. When we were enemies. How great is this gospel? Friends, that we should tell people on the outside who feel like they're too unworthy to set foot inside a church door. Man, you're just in the right place. You don't care about God. You've been cursing his name. You've been going out and drinking all night and having wild parties and living in fornication. Jesus is coming for you. He's drawing you. He loves you. He died for you where you're at. That's the glory of the gospel. He didn't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Was Paul worthy when he was arrested and blinded by Christ's glory? When he was healed and commissioned? No. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Was Paul called because he was worthy or because of this amazing grace of God? It's the amazing grace of God. The course of Paul's life radically changed that day. He became a slave of Christ, not by force, but by the love of God. When the love of God arrested him and called him, it won his heart. And it says, the life that I now live, I don't live for myself. I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He became a sent one and he was separated unto the gospel. His whole life was now lived for one purpose, the gospel. It was all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The faith he once tried to destroy, he would now give everything for. Why? To build a new religion? To build cathedrals or churches and monuments for himself? No. Because as he wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm the worst, Paul said. I'm the biggest sinner. Paul understood that grace of God, and it compelled him to tell others, God's not coming here to point out your sins and to look at all your faults and say, stay away from me. He's come to say, I paid the price for your sin, and I want you to draw near to me. I want to be close to you. Paul understood that. Christ came into the world to save sinners. For the Son of Man, Jesus said, did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That should be the message that we are giving to this world, that should be the attitude that we portray in our body language toward unbelievers and our conversation toward them. We should be portraying to them, there's a God in heaven that loves you. and He's done everything. He's done all the heavy lifting to bring you to himself. He came to us when we were sinners, when we were enemies, antagonists. When we ignored him and despised him, he came to bear the punishment of our sins that we deserve so we could be free from judgment. Free from condemnation. And so we could be made right with God. Friends with God. Going back to Romans 1, 1 and 2, it tells us the gospel of God that Paul was separated unto was not some new thing, but that it was promised. The good news was promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul's referring to the Old Testament prophecies that spoke of Messiah, that spoke of this great gospel of God that was coming. There are dozens of Old Testament prophecies about Messiah And the gospel, ranging from his virgin birth to where he would be born. So many prophecies. But I think the one that shines so brightly for the gospel, which could be one of the clearest, is in Isaiah 53 1 through 6. This was 900 years before Jesus was born. And the prophet said, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Who is it talking about? Who is he? I heard it whispered, Jesus. He, Jesus, shall grow up before him who's him. The Father, right? Here you see the Father and the Son. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. What was the dry ground? That was the spiritual and religious condition that Jesus was born into. The Pharisees who controlled the religious system, it was extremely dry ground. They were looking for Messiah, but when he came, they hated him and killed him. He has no form or comeliness. Jesus didn't come looking like Brad Pitt. He was a very average, unattractive man. Just a normal Jewish man. He had no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities or rebellion. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the gospel. We despised him and hid from him, and yet the Father placed our sins, our rebellion, our judgment on him. This is what the sacrifice of Jesus did. He went to the cross and bore our punishment for sin so we could go free. The innocent Lamb of God received the full wrath of God against sin, our sin, my sin, so we would not be condemned. The chastisement or punishment for our peace was upon him. Jesus received the wrath that our sins deserved upon himself. Do you know that? I think that that was more awful by many times than the physical suffering Jesus went through, which was bearing our sin, our pride, our selfishness, our perversion, our indifference, our hatred of others. He bore it upon himself. The one who had never sinned, kept himself from sin, carried every sin that man would ever commit upon himself at the cross. Why? So we could be free so we could have peace, so we could be brought near to God. His blood was the price of our freedom, our forgiveness. Some people think, you know what, when I stand before God, I know that God's a loving God, he'll just forgive my sins. He'll just, because he's loving, because he's benevolent, he'll just forgive my sins. My friends, that would be a breach of God's justice. See, justice requires that there must be a punishment for sins. Justice requires it, and God will not contradict Or bypass his own justice. When Jesus went to the cross, he fulfilled the justice of God. Do you understand that? Sin was punished in Christ for us. He took it so we wouldn't have to bear it. Somebody's going to pay for sin. Those that trust Christ, Christ has paid for their sins at the cross, taking them away as far as the east is from the west. Those that say, you know what, I'm going to take my chances and stand before God and hopefully my good outweighs the bad, they will bear their own sins in eternity separated from God. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Has that verse become so familiar that it's lost its meaning, its power to your mind? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do you enter into the benefits of this incredible gospel? Believe in Jesus. Believe in him. Believe the testimony that God has given of his only son. Look at verse 3. Who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. This refers to his human ancestry through Mary which fulfilled the prophecies that he would descend from David's lineage. Verse 4, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. There are many proofs of Jesus' deity. His miracles attest to his deity. The transfiguration, the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But the greatest proof of Christ's deity is his resurrection from the dead. Muhammad is in the grave. Confucius is in the grave. All the sages and wise men of other religions died and are in the grave. Jesus rose from the dead by the power of the Spirit, which proves He is the Son of God. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Listen, this is the whole thrust of the Gospel. It says, Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for what? obedience to the faith. Among all nations for his name. The gospel is not meant to be self-contained in one church in a small place. It's meant to spread out to all nations for obedience to the faith. The purpose in Paul's commission was to bring all nations to obedience to the faith. Not just faith, but obedience to the faith. True faith produces obedience to God. The person who lives a life that is contrary to God's will, continuing in sin, ignoring God's word, and says, oh, I believe the gospel. No, there's a disconnect there. They're still in darkness. That's what John says. Let's look at verse 6. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Paul gives them assurance that they are among those who've heard and responded to the gospel call. Verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. That phrase, called to be saints, in the literal is called out holy ones. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the believers in Rome are not only beloved of God, there's the comfort, but they're literally called out holy ones. Listen, we need to rejoice and be thankful for the love of God toward us. That establishes us. It's so important that we understand the love of God, but it's also important that we understand that we are called out holy ones. We are called out from this world. In Christ, we are saints. We are made holy ones. We're to be separate from this world. Verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. This is really interesting. Paul says, I thank my God for you because even though I haven't been to Rome, I hear about the faith of the Roman believers all throughout Asia. It's spread throughout. Listen, the faith of these believers was a shared faith with others, not a hidden, not a secret faith they were ashamed of. Their faith had people talking about it all over the known world. I think in today, in American Christian churches, I don't want to be too harsh here, but I think that we rarely share the gospel with people we know. Isn't that true? Paul said, not so of the Roman church. And he said this of the Thessalonian church as well. He said, the gospel is sounded out from you into all these other regions. Listen, friends, our faith is to be something we share. Paul lived and died for the gospel because he was captivated by Christ's love and he cared about the souls of men. Do you have a faith that people can't help but talk about if they know you, they know about the gospel. I want to have that kind of faith. Verse 9, "For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers." Paul's service to God was not just intellectual. I love this. He says, "I serve God with my spirit." In my inner man. My friend, our intellect is limited. Paul served Christ with everything. His heart, his soul, his mind, his spirit, everything. He served God with his spirit and the gospel of his son. And he made mention of these believers in his prayers. Sometimes we say, we hear someone's struggling, they got a sickness, or you know, I heard your dad has cancer. Oh, and the doctors said they, they can't do anything. Oh, okay, well I'll pray. That's good. But we sometimes say, I'll pray for you as like, that's kind of the last thing we could do. Listen, Paul prayed for these believers because he knew it was the most powerful weapon in his arsenal. And because he loved them. He loved them. I find that the more I grow in God's love, the more I pray for other people. If I see them sinning, instead of judging them and being like, oh man, can you believe what they did? Lord, help them. Deliver them out of this through your power, through your cross. Cover them in your blood. Bring conviction repentance. Paul prayed for them. He was not just a gospel preaching machine. He affectionately cared for these people, many of whom he had not yet met in person. Verse 10, making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. Paul was asking God to make a way for him to visit them and establish them further. How many of you think if Paul the Apostle were alive today and he visited this church and was able to preach to us, it would establish your faith further? I think it would. I think it would. That's what his desire was, to see them face to face. Verse 12, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you, listen to this, by the mutual faith both of you, And me. I love that. That I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. In other words, Paul's saying, I want to see you face to face. I want to encourage you with my faith, and I want to be encouraged by your faith. Paul highlights the value of face to face fellowship with other believers. It encourages, it lifts you up. Friend, it's great to listen to sermons or watch a podcast. But watching a podcast or listening to a sermon on a Sunday morning cannot replace the face-to-face fellowship you have with other believers or small group fellowships, small group Bible studies. There's something powerful that happens when we gather together. It encourages each other. It helps us encourage each other in our faith. Verse 13, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles." Even Paul did not have all his prayers answered in his timing. He had wanted to visit the Romans earlier. And he says, I was hindered. We don't know if he was hindered by Satan. There were other times where he said he was hindered by Satan. We don't know if he was hindered by God. It didn't really matter to Paul. Paul trusted in the sovereignty of God. He knew that God had a purpose for it. And he said that we might have some fruit as also among the other Gentiles. Paul was taking up a collection to bring from the different churches in Asia Minor, to bring a collection to the church in Jerusalem, which was very poor. And he said to the Romans, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to experience the awesome blessing and grace of giving. Verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. Paul felt indebted to all people to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you feel that burden around you? Do you look at people and think about them in terms of, are they saved or or are they not saved? Do they know Christ yet or don't they? And if they don't, do you long to share with them that good news of Jesus Christ? I saw a video the other day of this police officer who was trying to arrest a guy out of his car and the guy turned on him and just was bigger than him, started attacking him, beating him, going for his gun. And it was so pitiful to me hearing this police officer crying out for help help. He's trying to get to his radio. He's crying out for help. And this guy's going for his gun and the the police officer is fearing for his life. I can't imagine. And there were people around. They were calling for the police, for more police to come. I can't imagine personally seeing that and not intervening. You know what I'm saying? If I came upon a police officer calling for help or I saw somebody getting beat up, I would intervene. I would help them. You know, it's like in New York City. There's people that are fighting or there's a, a woman getting attacked and they're like this, right? Just walk over and keep going. Friend, do we do that? With this great gift of the gospel, people are dying and lost and headed toward a destruction in hell. Are we stepping over them or are we in love reaching out to them with the gospel? Paul said, I'm a debtor to everyone around me. Later he said, I become all things to all people. I've become a servant to all men so that I can win some for the gospel's sake, for Christ's sake, because he saw value in people. He wanted to save their souls by bringing them the gospel. Paul was just the messenger. He couldn't save them. But the message he had was full of power. Listen, it's interesting that he says here, so as much as is in me, verse 15, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I always looked at that verse and thought, this is interesting. He's, why would he want to preach the gospel to those that are already saved in Rome? You ever wonder that? Listen, we need regular reminders to keep the sacrifice of Jesus fresh in our minds. Because we're forgetful. We need regular reminders. We need to be sharpened by hearing the gospel and motivated to share the gospel with others. Verse 16, definitely my favorite verse in this chapter. Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul knew that the world despised and scoffed at the message of the gospel, but he was not ashamed or deterred, he knew that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone that believes. That word power is the Greek word dunamis, and that's the word we get our English word dynamite from. Explosive power, internal power. Think of the gospel as the dynamite and your faith as the small flame that lights the wick. You believe and power is released. Christ's power to save you is released in your life. The Word of God explodes in reality, changing your life and rearranging everything. Real dynamite destroys and brings disorder, right? You put it in rock and it, boom, it blows up the rock. You put it in a room, it blows up the room. But God's gospel power explodes bringing order and light and new life. It's powerful. Are we ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we embarrassed of the one who hung on the tree for us? If yes, confess it, repent of it. And pray that God will give us a burden for souls and the boldness and power to share the gospel. Where you see weakness in yourself, turn it into a prayer. God, help me. I feel ashamed. I didn't, I lost this opportunity. I was embarrassed. Forgive me. Help me to be bold. Give me boldness in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can know and understand the facts, even the deeper spiritual truths of the Word of God about salvation about how to be saved, and about justification, the gift of Jesus to you. But my friends, its power is not released in you until you believe it. When you believe it, that's when the dunamis, that's when the power of God, the Gospel, begins to work in you and change you. Praise God. I am praying that God will bring my brother back to that place of believing. I'm going to close with these two verses. Hebrews 4.2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, Paul said, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Paul said two groups of people heard the gospel. One group heard it. It didn't profit them. It didn't change them. It didn't benefit them. There was no power. Why? Because they didn't mix it with faith. Two people could be hearing the same sermon and one could say, man, I didn't know, I don't know what that guy was talking about. It was like rocks coming out of his mouth. Other person say, wow, I was blessed. God really spoke to my heart. It's not the preacher, it's how do you receive it? Receive it with faith? Same is true of the gospel. You could be pastor's child, pastor's son, pastor's daughter, hear your dad bring awesome messages every Sunday, every Sunday, and it not benefit you at all because faith is what releases the promise and power of God. It's the way God made it. Today you have heard and understood this gospel, this glorious gospel. But to experience its power to save you, you must believe it. You must believe it. Faith is a gift from God. And you could have small faith and say, I want to believe. I feel the Holy Spirit working in my heart. Be like that man that said, Lord, help my unbelief. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus helped him. First Thessalonians 2.13, last verse. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you, the Thessalonian church, when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Do you think this is the word of men? It won't profit you at all. But when you receive it as it is, as the word of God, its power is released in you and it will effectively work in you. By the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your power in the gospel. Lord, I want to pray for any that are here today. Maybe they're here joining a family. Maybe they just visited. This is their first time. Or maybe they've been here for weeks. They've heard the gospel, but they haven't believed it. Put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and the, the one who is the subject of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to salvation even today. I pray that You would bless the rest of the service. I pray that You would glorify Your Son, Jesus Christ. In Your name I pray. Amen.